Hey guys, welcome to another edition, the first real edition, guys, of League One Fun, brought to you by Roughneck Scars and the Beautiful Game Network. This is episode 12 now, uh, and we have we have real games to talk about. So joining me tonight, we have uh, Ira. How's it going, Ira? Hey, it's going great, Mark. I am uh, was so happy to watch all four games this weekend. That is more than I was able to watch. We also have Jason. How's it going, Jason? Good. Did you say that this is the the first real one so that Ira can feel better that his MVP candidate uh, <laughs> is not even in the league right We've now? Are you going to redo that? Throw in the shade now. <laughs> We're already, it's like Hunger Games. One's already struck we'll, down. We'll, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, Chris, how's it going? Great. I was actually able to watch zero of the games this weekend because <laughs> the one game I was watching, a neighbor's house burned to the ground. So I have gone back and rewatched it. But, you know, I'm here. I we can, we can spend the next hour just talking about that. But <laughs> I didn't we'll know your neighbors with uh, Chattanooga's back line. That's oh, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> starting early, starting early. All right, before we get to the game, guys, we're going to run down some quick news. Uh, I'll start off. Yeah, SC Tucson was quite busy in the week leading up to their first game. Added a couple, uh, actually signed, uh, added one guy, signed another. We had Philip uh, Edimadu, uh, the, goal, the young 19-year-old goalkeeper from LAFC. Uh, LAFC just really loves sending guys to Arizona. I think, guys. So uh, he actually was announced, I believe, Friday last week and started the game Saturday uh, for FC Tucson and did a decent job, but we'll talk about him later. They also signed Eti Tavares, formerly of the the Tulsa Roughnecks. He also got game time on Saturday. Uh, so, I mean, who knows? Maybe they just saw holes in their team and uh, decided to fill them up real quick. And then this week after their game, in between their first and second game, they also added uh, Devin Vega on loan from Phoenix Rising, their affiliate. Uh, this was a probably expected move from a lot of Phoenix Rising fans. Uh, there's just not enough minutes for Vega up in Phoenix, and he'll get to be the guy uh, in Tucson and actually started in the game currently in progress. Uh, so good additions for FC Tucson. Uh, hey, Mark, do you know yeah. is this uh, Edgy Madu is is he on loan for a specific period of time, or it's is because they don't have an affiliate agreement, right? Because their affiliate is obviously Phoenix Rising. So, is this like a season loan, or did they say it's a six month loan? Did so I think indication? I think it's a lot. It's a, like a lot of the other loans teams have been doing this year, where there's no specific amount of time he can be recalled at any time. But he's also pretty far down the depth chart for LAFC. And so unless something drastic happens, I imagine he'll be spending a lot of time in Tucson. And Tucson, I think, because that's where he'll get that time. He wasn't going to get any time in Phoenix or even a team like Orange County. And so you, you want to find this was a finding a team that could give him those minutes. I mean, then uh, again, the way Orange County's playing, maybe they uh they need to but think about it. Goalkeeper is not their real that's true real issue. So unless he, he left back maybe uh ira do you want to talk about it looks like the kickers introduced a new app this week yeah so the the kickers kind of moved into the the app world where they're going to have you know players they'll have their schedule uh things like that so a lot of the mls teams have uh their own apps now as well so it's kind of another way of, of engagement it's going to be a way that you can um you know you can go in 
in there and find out information about the stadium, what's going on with uh, parking, you know, things like that. So it's basically another way just for uh, additional community engagement. So it feels like, you know, a, a big thing. But of course, you know, is it a huge deal? Probably not. Um, um, it feels like today everyone has an app for something, but it's, uh, um, you know, it's still a step in the right direction. And I suspect that you probably see some of that with some over um, uh, with some other teams as well. Sounds good. And one more piece of news I actually just saw. It's not on our notes, guys, but it looks like Greenville is going to introduce a player relatively soon. Chris, did you see that? I'm not sure that that's what that tweet meant. It oh, said okay. there's someone joining the Triumph team. They're British, but they're not taking up an international roster spot, which makes me think that it's probably not a player. I don't mm. know for sure, but that's just my suspicion. Maybe a commentator? I think that's probably the case. And okay. if the, and actually, now that you say that, I, I am 100% sure that's what it is because I, I know who is going to be doing the play-by-play. -play, so that seems to be, yeah, I think that's a good call. I was hoping for a British mascot, but you know you can't win them all. I was Queen hoping that's with a scarf. I was hoping it was uh, going to be Paul Hollywood judging our our food at the tailgate. So that's a really like old dad joke there for you. Yeah, nice. Already, already in the dad jokes. <laughs> Never too soon. All right, guys. So that's that wraps up the news. Uh, let's get into some games. Why don't we? Uh, first game of. USL League One history, we had South Georgia Tormenta FC 1, Greenville Triumph 0. We had the lone goal in the game in the 72nd minute by Alex Morial. Jason, you were there. Tell I us was. all about it. I was. So first and foremost, uh, shout out to the whole Tormenta front office and the crew. They threw a great first game. Um, shout out to this, the residents coming out, selling out over 3,500 people. Uh, the atmosphere was great. Starting the game by having a hot air balloon lift up 30, 40, 50 feet in the air and dropping the game ball down to a goalkeeper. Uh, your league's not touching that as an intro to a game. I don't care. Tottenham went to have the little fireworks and light display. I've been to a Calvin Harris concert. That doesn't impress me. Hot air balloons dropping game balls. That impresses me. Um, but it was a great atmosphere, and it's exactly what you think you would get um, from Statesboro and in that region. A lot of good, a lot of the college kids came out. Um, they started getting rowdy, especially in the second half. So that was great to see the VIP tent, fried mac and cheese, uh, a dessert buffet, unlimited cider and beer. Yes, that was great. Um, and so yeah, it was just it was a really fun day, um, and I, it was a fun atmosphere too, right? So you can have all the you know amenities but it takes that crowd uh that participation the product on the field and both of they you know both of them showed up so it was great and uh yeah as far as the gameplay goes first half you can tell was I, I like calling it uh like tangoing you know when you tango dance with somebody someone needs to take the lead and nobody really took the lead in their tango dance. So they just kind of followed each other. Uh, no one really wanted to make the first mistake. Uh, Alex Morel was everywhere, though. And that's something that you should definitely watch for. I've had multiple players come up to me from Tormenta and tell me, like, oh, yeah, you should have picked him as your golden boot winner because he, anytime he gets the ball in the box, it's going in. And I can attest to that because when he did score in the second half, off the counter goal that uh, Marco Micheletto did, which I think I said 
was probably going to be the spark that a team needed in a certain article because he's great at countering. Um, before Alex even shot the ball, as soon as he got it in the box, two or three of the backline guys put their hands up in celebration because they knew it was in before he even shot it. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, Greenville, though, great job organizing their defense. They stay compact the whole game. Uh, they had a game plan, and they did it well. And Tyler Pollock was asked to do a lot, and he did it. He did it all. He did one-on-one defending. He came into the middle. He went up the sides, put in some crosses. Tyler, Tyler Pollock was everywhere. Um, and so I have to hand it off to, to Greenville. have to hand it off to uh, Dallas J as well because for really organizing them. was very vocal, telling them where to go, telling them, it's okay, give it back to me next time. I've got time. And I think because of that, you saw Tormenta had a trouble breaking them down, right? And that's why in the second half, Greenville really kind of put their foot on the pedal and was had more of the possession. Uh, but I think overall, the thing that, affected Greenville the most was they could not get the ball in the middle. Tormenta just clogged up that middle. Uh, Greenville played on the side all game, and anytime they put the ball in the middle, Tormenta was there to intercept it or clear it to the point where Tormenta had, I think, 42 clearances, which is insane. I think that's 14 or 18 more than any other team did last week. Um, so a great defensive effort on both teams, great atmosphere, and most importantly, of course, great empanadas definitely hit up that empanada truck that they have oh man sounds good so i was i only got actually got to see uh the goal as it happened i turned the game on as soon as it happened and it was a great goal it was uh real quick i mean you, you blink and the goal was missed uh also that save i believe it was in the 86th minute yeah, game winning save that that save was amazing for diving the wrong way and still being able to get <laughs> get a foot. Yeah, to it. I, I, yeah, I don't know how much she knew about it, but as a goalkeeper, I will say that Hara knew everything about it. Put that foot out there, and it was the save of the week. <laughs> he knew enough. He knew yeah. enough. Ira, yeah. you have any thoughts? Yeah, I was really worried that this game was going to end nil nil and it'd be kind of a dud opener. But so I'm glad that we had a, a result in the in the match and a couple of really key moments. Um, you could tell that there was a lot of jitters out there, right? It was actually the game with the lowest passing percentage by both teams of the weekend, and I think that that was pretty telling. And one of the reasons why the first half in particular was super ugly, right? It was, it just wasn't as pretty soccer as you know. Quite frankly, it got much better in the second half, and I think that it, that it showed. Um, and uh, was you know ended up being a re pretty entertaining game in the end. For sure, not a bad way to start off the league. So that was the lone Friday night game. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. Oh. We don't we don't want to ask our our other host what he thought of okay. it. Hey. Okay. Oh, like, I heard that he didn't watch any game. So right. I bet bad. he did it. I <laughs> yeah, I did watch this one. Unfortunately. Um, <laughs> Man, such a heartbreaker. I mean, I, I feel like Greenville played well enough to at least get a point in that match, if not win it outright at times. Um, one of the things I notice, I feel like Greenville defensively was super, super strong. Um, I think they really backed up my claim that they were going to be one of the strongest defensive teams in the league this year. Um, I, I think I shared in, the, in our little group, uh, Twitter DM about the heat map, which I'm not a big heat map guy, but basically the entire 18 for green in front of Greenville's goal was almost completely not touched by the heat map. Um, I think that says a lot about the back line. It says a lot about 
Dallas Jays effort, but also even some of the attackers. Um, the guy that I ultimately said was my main of the match was the first sub out of the game, but Sammy Gadiri, who was playing as a striker, came back and made some crazy good defensive plays for Greenville, um, just was all over the field. And ultimately, I think what happened, uh, I know Jason said there was a lot of bog down there in the middle. I think that really hurt Greenville. And then I think the chances they did have, because they had a lot of really, really good chances. Had the best chances. Of the but it game. just seemed like they couldn't finish. And, I, and I'm, I'm a little perplexed by Jake Keegan being out on the wing as a midfielder and not as a finisher. He is a – he's played as a striker. His highlights are all – exactly what Greenville is trying to do, cross the ball into the box, which they were doing a ton. He's the guy that's going to put his head on it and put it in the back of the net. And yet they had him out on the wing serving up some of those crosses. And every time he touched the ball, he sprinted forward. He's super fast with the ball. And the guy they did have up top, Cameron Saul, who I think is a great goal scorer from, from a midfielder position and from outside the box he plays with his back to the goal a ton, and he just couldn't seem – and this speaks a little bit to Tormenta's defense. He could never get turned around to take those shots. And the one shot he did took, he just whiffed on and pushed it uh, pushed it wide. So I don't know. I, I'm kind of secretly hoping, because Greenville's only got 18 people on their roster right now, that maybe they've got their eye on, on a striker in either the championship or MLS that they're hoping is going to – maybe get loaned or they can sign out right because right now they've got two strikers listed, uh, Keegan and Saul. And, you know, if you're going to put Keegan out on the, on the wing in midfield and Saul can't really play with his back to goal, it, you got to have something. You got to do something. So I'm kind of secretly hoping they've got something up their sleeve. And I think that they're going to want Cameron Saul to be in more counterattacking. That's where he really shines. And they just – didn't have any chance to really have a counterattack, right? Tormenta was organized as well and kind of gave Greenville, especially in that second half, they were like, oh, we'll give you possession because we we know we can stop you in the middle and it's just going to be a matter of time before we hit a counterattack on you guys. Yeah, and I don't think positionally he was really lined up to do that. I mean, he was right. in that he was in that nine role and that's really not a counterattacking position. That's really your finisher and he just wasn't that that didn't play to his strengths, I don't think. Yeah, his movement wasn't that good, right? Like he he I think he was tasked with staying very central instead of um, you know, being told to drift wide and and maybe they'll make some tactical tweaks to put him in a better spot next time to kind of make runs in behind from the wings instead of instead of trying to stay central because it, it, it's hard to run in behind if if you have a compact defense that you're playing against and that's kind of how Tormenta played so it wouldn't be surprised if they watch some tape and say hey here's what we can do better because remember this was these guys especially for these two teams this was their first competitive match and and at the end of the day you know you do opposition research by watching video but you also watch your own team and and you know say hey here's what you could have done better in that that situation so um you know we'll see those tweaks this weekend it'll be really interesting to see what tactical changes both teams make I will, I will say this too. The one guy I think that jumped out to me for Greenville that I wasn't really sure what to expect from him. He's a young guy. Uh, Chris Bermudez, like mm-hmm. on that wing. My goodness. Talk so about good with the ball. So good with the ball. My only complaint with, with him is, I, I mean, he, he drew fouls. He created great free kick opportunities. But it seemed like every once in a while, he just he holds onto the ball maybe just like a second too long at times. And I think that that got him in a little bit of trouble. But I think he, as young as he is, he has potential to really develop this year. I think this is a great. I think League One is a great spot for him. 
to grow and really become, I think by the end of the season, you're going to be talking about a guy who, if he comes back next year, could be an MVP type player. Sounds good. And just to update you guys, uh, Tucson just scored in the 55th minute of their game that they are currently playing with Tormenta. Looks like it was a uh, free kick. What is that, Jason? You got to let me know when there's spoiler alerts, okay? I'm, <laughs> I'm watching the game after. I haven't, I, uh, I haven't tuned right. in. But, Do you yeah. want me to tell you who Jon Snow is also? Don't don't read I the can, comments then. Is he the one with the dragons? I don't <laughs> All right, moving on to our first game on the Saturday slate, uh, Lansing Ignite 3, Richmond Kickers 2. You had goals from Robinson uh, Moshoban of Lansing in the 19th, Xavier Gomez of Lansing in the 27th, Kevin Koifik of Lansing in the 49th, and then Richmond got their, their two back from Maxi Rodriguez in the 68th and Joe Gallardo in the 76th. Ira, do you want to break this one down? Yeah, won't necessarily break everything down, but um, you know the Lansing press was pretty impressive. Um, you know they were definitely a, a pressing team. They wanted to. They, they were okay giving Richmond the ball, and and almost felt it, it felt to me like they were um, that they were more comfortable when they didn't have the ball than when they did have the ball at times. Um, I also thought Kirk and goal was was you know, much more calm. I I had never really seen him play and I thought he was really good. He had, you know, he was calm with his feet. He was decent at distribution. And, uh, you know, if you look at that first Lansing goal, there was uh, some really good movement and uh, Lansing got a lot of people forward um, in the, in their press. And, and really one of the reasons why they, they, uh, uh, they scored that particular one. The second goal also was totally forced by, uh, by pressure. And, um, and, you know, it was, I, I think if, if, the, the the issue I think Lansing had in the end and the reason why they they didn't win by multiple goals was basically you can't press for 90 minutes and that's what they were doing. So, you know, you can press for 60 or 70 minutes, but as soon as you get up to, you know, um, at the hour mark and past that when you've just been running and running and running, um, they, they kind of ran out of gas. And when they did that, they, uh, they allowed Richmond to press a little bit more numbers forward. And, um, you know, that certainly forced the... Uh, um, forced the first goal. You know, you know, I think the, the second goal was, I think, a, a soft penalty. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure what was called, and it was, um, uh, you know, there might have been something there, and, and there's two or three things that I think you could have called as a referee. Um, I've certainly called, you know, similar things for uh, potential fouls in the box or, or um, uh, and, and, you know, I've called things similar myself in, 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 you know, U23 and U18 games, but you know, it, it was hard to see from the camera angles that they had, you know? So if there was a camera angle, maybe from the reverse angle than what, the, what we saw, I think maybe you would have seen something that was a little bit more obvious for, for the penalty, but you know, good on Richmond, I think to, to not give up and to keep pressing. And, and the other thing I'd say about Richmond is they were missing some of their key players. So they were missing Troyer. They were missing, um, uh, they were missing, uh, um, Scotty Thompson. So they were missing some of their key defensive players. And I, I think once those guys are back and, you know, those guys will probably be pretty important parts of that, that defense. And maybe you'll see the uh, Richmond defense a little bit more. So, um, Hey, spoiler alert here, by the way, spoiler alert. <laughs> my goodness, this game Tormenta equalized. Up. No, they took they, the lead. They took the lead. Oh, took the lead. Yeah. Oh, wow. I missed that one. Oh, twice. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. You're good, Jason. All right. Any, Jason, any thoughts on Lansing Richmond? 
Yeah. So one, I will say, uh, I bet you coach Nate Miller is listening to this and hearing you can't press a whole game and going, all right, challenge accepted. Hold my beer. <laughs> I think uh, a big thing. Hey, I, I'm, is- I'm a Red Bull supporter. So you know, <laughs> I, I, I know a hundred percent that, you know, you know what it's like to be up three nil in the 70th minute. And then the guys so, just run out so of the game. Lansing. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> The spiciness, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure when that second goal went in for Richmond, everyone in Lansing just was like, "Do I want to finish this game? Do I just want to turn this off and maybe watch it the highlights later?" Um, one thing that surprised me with Lansing, though, is when you look at that first goal, for instance, they were kind of inviting Richmond in with numbers, right? They drew in five people, brought them to the side, and then Kevin Koifik, who played an amazing game. Uh, hit that ball cross field 60 yards on a dime. And when you have uh, Mushabani or Steve, uh, Steve St. Duke one-on-one, it's over. Like you, you need a head start to keep up with them. So, and that's what he was doing. And that's what he did. He, he was like six for seven in his long balls. It was crazy. And I, I thought that was an interesting tactic. And I, I like that idea and just almost like absorbing the pressure. And I'm curious to see what that's like when they play teams who also have high presses, because if they can connect on those long passes and get those wingers one-on-one, then yeah, that's bread and butter. That's, that's too dangerous. Um, so I did like that. Uh, I think like uh, in the second goal uh, that they scored, I think it was the second goal, all Nick Moon applying that pressure uh, turning over the ball like we were talking all offseason, someone that's listed as a forward that can play right back or left back anywhere, and it shows, right? That's what they needed. They needed that athleticism, that versatility, and it gets them a goal. Um, I did like Richmond in the second half. They did a lot better with their possession. Uh, you can see what they want to do. I think that Fitzgerald, he was just in a tough situation because he just faced so much, right? You can you can only have the ball for so long before you start facing two or three guys in your face. Um, so I thought that in the second half, he did really well. Um, and then when they started pressing more, it actually caused the uh, miscue for Lansing. So I think with Richmond, like you said, with between injuries and communication, they'll get it together. Um, and I, I do think that this is, you can get some notes from them, but I, I'm excited to see this weekend to kind of really tell how that defense of shape is going to look in that possession. Yeah, and shout, uh, out, shout, out. shout out to your piece on uh, BGN written, by the way, where you know uh, you note that communication was a, a thing for a lot of these goals this weekend, 100. Yeah, it was. It was. We had a lot of goals, but there we had a lot of easy goals. It was is goalkeepers not yelling out to clear it or that they were going to get it. It was bad communication from set pieces, and you can look at that Lansing third goal in the set piece. I mean, Koifit was just wide open, right? And it's not even him. You can go back and look. Almost every Lansing player was not really contested it, and in front of their player in the box, that ball could have went anywhere, and anyone would have had a shot at goal with it. Um, and so that's just like you said, with injuries and different people subbing in now, it's just going to take time to get that communication. But as far as like the bad back passes and games we'll talk about, that can't happen. Uh, and that that was a trend that we saw. And I think that was the bad, the, the worst part of the first week. Probably not too surprising, though, right? I would say so. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the North Texas Chattanooga game. But when you have a back line that's pretty much made up of USL championship guys and guys who have played almost a hundred games in USL championship, 
you should not have bad communication between them, right? They are, they're veterans. They know. So even if they aren't used to each other, as far as timing, you should never have a bad communication between you don't know whether or not the goalkeeper is coming up. Simple as that. Yeah. And I know you talk about that third Lansing goal, but even the first two that were in the run of play, like it, I know Richmond had some injuries on that back line, but man, they, it just seemed like, I think it was, I think it might've been the first goal that Lansing scored. they, passed it inside the box probably two or three times before they took the shot. And it was like, man, you can't let that happen. <laughs> like that's just, and I, I, that is why to me, and I know I, I'm not trying to get too far ahead. We'll talk about it in a little bit, but that's why I'm really excited about the Lansing Greenville game. Probably one of the most potent offenses in the league versus one of the most potent defenses. It'll be real interesting to see those two sides, just the, the Lansing offense and the Greenville defense go, go head to head on Saturday. But I think once once you watch some tape, right? So you look at that first goal. Um, uh, you look at the movement in the box that created that, like the the switches and and the movement off the ball that created those passing lanes and and pulled defenders out of position. Once you have tape on that, you can you can start to play for that and say, okay, look, if you're the left back and you see this person making this run, they're trying to pull you out of position. They're going to be offside anyway, so don't chase them, right? You have to you know hold your position. So there's different things that you can do with tape. And now that we have that tape you, you'll actually see a, a more interesting tactical game plan like the next time that they play you probably won't see that exact same thing happen again and that exact same goal but you're right I mean it was great movement it was good movement off the ball it was good vision by the guys to I think I, I think there were you know there was one pass from outside the box and then the two passes inside the box that create that set up that first goal and it was it was a pretty goal no doubt about it yeah, and I think yeah. that's what we've we've talked about all together doing our predictions and and even trying to break down these games and predict the seasons going forward. Like we just we have incomplete information. I think having a one weekend of games in helps, but we still have two teams that haven't played, we haven't seen. So I think as the season goes along, we'll get a much better idea of how these teams really are. Yeah, and uh, shout out to uh, Rodriguez of Richmond Kickers who. Swore he wasn't a goal scorer, but I couldn't tell by that strike. I thought that was beautiful for him to take that off his foot and flick it up to himself and and score that and put it in a place a keeper's not going to get it. I thought that was a very underrated goal this week. Oh, yeah. All right. The next game, uh, North Texas SC3, Chattanooga Red Wolves SC2. Goal scores include in the 13th minute, Ricardo Pepe of North Texas. That can't be right. That can't be right because Ricardo Pepe doesn't play for North Texas. He plays for FC Dallas. Mm. <laughs> so you know so, that that came that that came out from the U.S. Soccer Press. So if you have an issue with that, Chris, take it up with them and not the reporters who should probably research and not copy and paste it or at least source the U.S. Soccer uh, with that information. But that's just my opinion. See at home, sweet soccer Twitter. <laughs> what do I know? I don't. I didn't go to school for journalism or anything. <laughs> Yeah, I've been right. with U.S. Soccer about that actually. So, so for those of you who don't know, U.S. Soccer named their U seventeen U seventeen team uh, for their camp that they're having now. And Ricardo uh, Pepe was was on that team, but he was listed as an FC Dallas player, not a North Texas player, even though he was North Texas's first signing. Yeah, they're just they're looking forward to a year from now when. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, Mark, Mark, why don't you tell us what you thought about this game? Well, let, let me run down the rest of the scores because okay. uh, in the 62nd minute, we also I thought it was only one name. Wasn't only one name. <laughs> <laughs> in the 62nd minute, we had uh, Ricardo Pepe again from North Texas, and in the 77th minute, surprise, Ricardo Pepe 
of North Texas. Uh, Chattanooga was able to get two back. Stephen uh, Beattie in the 84th and Richard Dixon in the 90 plus two uh, extra time. Uh, but it wasn't enough. That that last goal, I think, was one of the last kicks of the game uh, anyway. Uh, so, guys, I, I, go, I only saw the highlights except for the second goal, which USL, for some reason, did not put on their highlights uh, video along with Tucson's second goal. Uh, but, guys, any thoughts besides the, the horrible backline from Chattanooga? Listen, if you want all of Pepe's goals in the highlight film, they're not going to be highlights. You're just going to have to watch the whole game. So they got to <laughs> cut something out. <laughs> Well, the se- the second goal, quite frankly, was like the first goal was all peppy, right? And the the second goal was just really, really poor defending. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the the third one was also, but uh, I mean, in in fairness, and Jason, you you could talk about this. You and I have 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 chatted about this. Ricardo Pepe's energy is massive, and the fact is, like, like even though there were there were mistakes made by the defenders on all three of the goals, the fact that he was on their back the whole time has to be given some credit, right? And the fact that he can find, you know, you know, find that little tiny bit of space just to get a toe poke on the ball for the first goal and get it into the the net past the keeper. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, it just really was. It was it was a feat of athleticism and and good communication, quite frankly, between uh, between the players. Because that that ball came from the right side. Who who got the assist? I how come I never, Oh, Kendall Mc uh, uh, Mullen, right? Uh, was uh, was the guy trying to cover uh, Pepe? And he uh, yeah, and he just he kind of lost the ball. He didn't know where Pepe was because Pepe made this little turn from the from the right to the left, and then all of a sudden he was on his left shoulder instead of the right shoulder. Mullen just turned the wrong way, and that's the reason why Pepe was able to get a get get that first goal. And it was uh, pretty impressive. But Stephen Beattie's goal was great too. Like, oh, yeah. Jason, you want to break that one down because that yeah, was, and that, that, that was, was really and that was like I said, communication again. Right, the keeper had no business running out to damn near midfield, um, and so. You know, he had he had plenty of time to place it, but because of the angle the keeper was running at, he kind of bent it, looks like outside and into that corner. And it was it was a beautiful goal. But my thing about Pepe and almost all of the North Texas kids was they came out dripping. They had such swag and confidence on style on that ball. The one thing I'm afraid with teenagers and a first professional game, these are some of their first professional games, right? Professional minutes. They are playing against people who played, you know, in USL championship, MLS, and they acted like they did not care. Uh, Pepe's hold up play. Fantastic. Not his one touch passes. Those give and goes were absolutely beautiful. All their assists, the, the passing was precise. It was, you knew what they were doing. They had a game plan. They executed it. They continuously put pressure on that back line. They saw the weakness and they killed it. I have nothing but respect. And when they're at their press conference and they're laughing and knowing that they're about to uh, go enjoy a nice Mountain Dew Baja blast and play some Fortnite or whatever new game is that I'm too old to know about, like they deserve that because it wasn't just like, I don't look at this as Chattanooga lost the game. I look at it as North Texas won. Yes, Chattanooga made mental mistakes and had you know a bad back line or bad back line performance but do you know what chattanooga's possession was in that game 38 percent explain to me how you're going to win a game at 38 percent if you're not a counter-attacking team and i don't think chattanooga's a counter-attacking team that's not what they were showing that they were trying to do so no i think that 
That was a very well done performance from North Texas. At the end, you can tell that they were tired. And especially that last goal, nobody was around to receive that long ball. He was by himself for about 18 yards. So it was easy for him to go up and put it in. But yeah, I think overall, if I'm a 16 year old kid and that was my first ever professional game, yeah, I'm popping some uh, Shirley Temples or, you know, whatever they're drinking and celebrating because they put a well-rounded great game on. And and North Texas also like like you mentioned the possession stats right how North Texas you know outpossessed by um, you know sixty two to thirty eight, but North Texas also outpassed uh, uh, outpassed the Red Wolves um, eighty five to seventy five and especially in the final third right North Texas completed seventy five of their passes in the final third and I think you know that's that's. You know, when when teams are able to do that, that's because one, either really, really poor defending, which I think you could say the Red Bulls had, but two, and importantly, it's the communication and just the chemistry between the players to be able to move and pass and, you know, find the open man, especially in the final third when, you know, when Chattanooga had a lot of their players back, right? Chattanooga had eight guys behind the ball. And, you know, when you do that, you you should be cutting down a lot of space. But um, Texas still had, a, a you know, a fair number of passes there. And believe the hype, y'all. The Gambian Pogba, Alfusani Jada, named one of the players of the week, was great. He was that pivot that would come back to start the attacks, would get the ball, have precise passing, was physical. There was guys trying to knock him off so that they can get the ball and counter. Wasn't happening. I thought he played a very great game. This is definitely a player I'm excited to watch all season, and I don't think that he's going to be in this league next season. I think another team in USL championship or somebody is definitely going to try to buy his uh, loan deal. Amen. And also uh, one more note on that game, North Texas, the attendance was at 2,100, which I was surprised that, you know, you, you didn't have any fans on the side that the camera could see. Uh, and the weather I, from what I heard wasn't great, but it's good to see at least for the first game, uh, North Texas get a crowd, especially FC Dallas season ticket holders get tickets for free. So you might as well use them. And I did a uh, guest appearance on the Uncle Sam podcast and uh, Armand was there at the game and said that they were doing a FC Dallas watch party, I believe, inside and the weather was bad anyway. So a lot of the people stayed inside and watched the game from inside instead of being outside in the cold and all that good stuff. So that's why on camera doesn't look like anybody's there, which of course in 2000 people in a 20,000 seat stadium, it might look empty anyway, but yeah. So that's where most of the people probably were. Hey, Chris, any thoughts on this game? Ricardo Pepe. That's all I got to say about that. The, 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 the amazing part is, so like we said, Ricardo Pepe gets called up, right? And let's say he's just a phenomenon gets to go play, you know, world cup or whatever, right. Qualifyings. They bring down Jesus Ferreira or somebody and just plug him in and nothing changes. It's just like, I don't, I don't know, man. If North Texas, I want to see their defense challenged. It looked a little iffy in that in the last 20 minutes, but I want to see their defense challenged because if their defense can hold it together, that that's really the dark horse team in this league. Yeah. Do, do you want to know something? Uh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, I do think – Ira and I were talking a little bit before uh, you other two jumped on, but I know uh, most of y'all had the Red Wolves in the playoffs, and somebody on this panel did not think they were going to fare as well this season. And I feel 
real good about that prediction after that game. Yeah, it, it, yeah, uh, you know, North Texas being a dark horse. Keep in mind when when the, when Red Bulls two entered um, entered USL now championship, you know, they won their first season and they did it with you know almost the same way with young kids. I mean, look who was on that team it was Tyler Adams. Where's he now? Right. It was um, it was guys I like Long. U.S. national team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Aaron Long, right? Like, you know, these are national team guys, and and you have you know three other guys who are now on the first team at New York Red Bulls. So, um, you know, and then actually a couple of those players play in the in USL League One now, right? Like Kevin Pollitz, he was uh, he he played a bit part back then, but um, if memory serves. But anyway, they, there's definitely a uh, um, you know I would not count North Texas out if they can keep up um, you know especially home games right if they can win all their home games like this then you know that that should be enough to get them into the playoffs sounds good and the uh, we'll move on to the last game of week number one in USL League one we had SC Tucson three Orlando City B one we had uh, the first goal in FC Tucson professional history in the 22nd minute Guillermo Delgado, uh, and then that was followed up in the fourth minute of extra time in the first half by Zach Wright. Delgado scored again for Tucson in the 54th, and then Christopher Osiwusu uh, brought one back for, for OCB in the 56th, and that ends the score. And we also had the first red card in <laughs> League One history in the 45th minute from Mendoza of OCB. It was... Yeah. One of the easiest calls I've ever yeah, we seen. We all agree that's a red card, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred uh, yeah, percent. And a dumb red card at that, just based on the position on the field. He was right next to the sideline. Like, you have no – he was going back away from goal. You have no reason to slide in like that. Uh, this was this was the only game I was able to watch fully, uh, but I'll let you guys go first. What were your thoughts with uh, FC Tucson in Orlando? I want to, Ira, if you can, I want you to go first. And then, Mark, I want you to go because I have a feeling you guys might be down on Orlando a little bit. And I actually kind of liked what they did. Okay. Yeah. You were very impressive. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't wasn't so bad with them. I mean, they they made a lot of, I would say, youngster mistakes. So, unlike North Texas, which we just talked about, where, you know, they have chemistry and, you know, these players obviously played in the system and they knew how, uh, how that system works. I think that the problem that OCB maybe has is it seemed like they had the communications issue, Jason, that you were talking about, where they didn't communicate and they didn't necessarily all understand the transition moments. So I would say that they didn't have a problem on de- in defending. They didn't have a problem in attack. Where they really had a problem was in the transition from both of those uh, moments of the game. And, um, you know, so I even have in my notes, like, it, they look like youngster mistakes. They look like mistakes like 17-year-olds make when they play football, right? Um, Tucson, on the other hand, was very comfortable with the ball. Um, they have really good speed on the counter. I mean, they... Like their transition play, unlike OCBs, was really, really uh, impressive. Um, OCB also played very high too, right? That's another reason why at least one of the goals um, what was was scored was just how high OCB was playing. Uh, so their back line near 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 it. And quite frankly, I still like Wusu, man. Um, I mean, he didn't give up. He was dangerous. I mean, he actually had a couple more chances. Probably should have a second goal. Um, and then you know, one of the people who I mentioned before. Um, in one of our preview shows was Luke. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and then neither did the announcer, by the way, if you noticed that. Right, I was about to let you know. The announcer struggled just with but, me. <laughs> but, but Luke, Garrett, I, I want to say it's uh, 
Granator, maybe, uh, you know, he got another yellow. So just so you know, we talked about how we got in, in uh, uh, U19 and U17 uh, Development Academy games last year. We got five car- five yellows in 13 games. Well, <laughs> yeah, at this pace, he'll have 28 by the end. Of- well, he won't have 28, right, because he'll get suspended. But <laughs> a lot of yellows. It was on for 15 minutes and got a yellow, just being really aggressive. Um, so, yeah, that, that's had- pretty much what I had. Oh, sorry, all right. that's a game that had five yellows and one red. So I just wanted to throw it in there from just on Orlando side. <laughs> so, so yeah, so um, we, were, we were joking about the, the the one way you approach, but yeah, maybe Cooch is telling them to go out there and start shouldering some guys down because that that's impressive to have five yellows and a red in your first game ever. Well, and the the ref I think struggled with this game because there there I think three two or three of those yellow cards probably weren't yellow cards and there were probably three or four fouls that could have been yellow cards uh going both ways so um i there was the i think the second yellow card of the game was was one of the ocb players walked up to an fc tucson free kick and didn't walk away quick enough but it was nine two seconds and he got shown a yellow for no fouls but previous so i i wasn't impressed with the refing in that game uh as much and ira actually I, I feel like I watched a different game based on what I saw um, from it. OCB uh, leapt out real quick at the beginning of the game. The first 20 minutes were just all OCB. Tucson really struggled keeping any possession uh, and doing anything with it. OCB had uh, like 10 recoveries in the FC Tucson final uh, defensive third in the first half. And so FC Tucson struggled first getting the ball and then moving the ball out. And it was actually their first two goals were just simple balls over the top from Ledbetter. Uh, Delgado got the first one. Just there, there is no communication between the OCB keeper and, and the defender. And it was actually the ball went to uh, Luis Martinez and it registered as a shot from USL, but it looked like it was going to roll wide and Delgado was just there to sweep it in. Um, and so after that goal, and especially after the red card, Tucson kind of calmed down and was finally able to get uh, get a little bit more pressure. Their, their press was not impressive in the first half at all, I thought. Uh, OCB just moved way too quickly in it and over it. Uh, but OCB was was definitely wasteful with their chances. I, I counted two or three or four threats I thought OCB had and just didn't do anything with either a shot from outside the box or possession just failed uh for them and and tucson took advantage they got they got the, their quick goals and uh didn't leave uh, ocb with much uh much left well, in fairness yeah. ocb did have 60 percent possession so yeah. Oh, yeah. it's like you know they they definitely had more of the ball um but yeah it was i think it was that transition to attack that i meant with with that was very impressive from tucson just the pace that they got the ball from their defensive third to the offensive third was super impressive and they did it organized right it's like it's not just it wasn't only one person it was one it was you know three people all kind of making those runs and you know even though there were good individual efforts it, it was obviously an organized planned attack which was pretty impressive i think uh for me tucson was the most surprising team this weekend and not in a good way i think i expected tucson i had them in the playoffs i thought tucson was going to be really good and like mark said you know they they looked not great when Orlando was at full strength. And then once Orlando went down a man was when Tucson really started to look better. I still think Orlando is the worst team in the league. So I don't think that's a great, it's not a great 
uh, a great showing for Tucson. But again, I think it's hard to say anything after one match just because all these teams are getting the jitters out. You're trying to get adapted to this new level of play, this new level of players. And I'm interested to see this year what the the differential is in referees from match to match. I know we talked about all the yellows and reds in this game. Whereas like in the in the Greenville Tormenta game, that ref was really letting them play. There was a lot of physical play in that match. Um not in a I mean not in a bad way necessarily. I thought it was fine. Um but it just, you know, I noticed there was probably at at least a handful both ways that that with a different referee could have been a yellow card here or there. So I think I think it'll be interesting to see what the the disparity on refereeing is uh, across the the league throughout the season. I think What's, two of well, two of these four referees are are officiating this coming weekend. I, I don't remember which ones. But the one thing I'll say is that what I did appreciate is with the refs, at least it was consistency, right? So it was just like. The person the, in the game with Tucson and Orlando, yes, I'm going to be giving you le- yellows because I already know and I'm watching this that this is going to be chippy. It's going to be physical. It's a bunch of 16-year-olds. Like I'm going to set the standard right now that I'm not here to play with y'all. Like If you act up, I'm going to discipline y'all. Whereas with the Greenville Tormenta game, you know, the ref was like, hey, you know, I like a little physicality, so y'all can go ahead and play on. Uh, but just to add, I, I literally have in my notes – that Tucson press will not work against Lansing. They face teams that are fast. They are going to get destroyed with that press. They have to work on that. There was a, uh, in the 28th minute, uh, the press that Orlando put on Tucson resulted in a bad back pass with a one-on-one with, I think Mike could be a penalty. I would have, that would be my first instant replay thing to where, you know, maybe we go back and look at that. But, you know, regardless of the call, that should never have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't you can't do that. And so um, when I watch the Tormenta game that y'all are not going to spoil for me because you're you're great friends, I'm curious to see what their press looks like against uh, Tormenta and how they've improved on it. Yeah, and even defensively when Tucson was pressing, they left way too much space in the midfield. Their, their attackers went full force after the keeper, after the center back, after the outside backs. And either the midfield just didn't communicate or – they were just lost because OCB was able to get through it each time. I will say, I think they, they seeded it on purpose. It seemed to me like they, you know, that that was kind of a plan. They didn't want to get beat on a on a, a counter. Yeah, possibly. I like how Tucson though they played a side a lot. I think it was that left side for them. I can't remember if it was a left or right side, but they were definitely overlapping on the side. I want to say left, and they drew those defenders wide and pass the ball into the middle. And it was, I think it was Cox. Is that who? Now, who am I thinking of? Um, but Martinez? Yeah, maybe. And um, was wide open in the middle for those, uh, I think it was on the third goal, especially for the through ball to Delgado because nobody was around him. Um, so that I was think... Actually, uh, that was actually the one time I think the press worked because that was straight from a turnover. Right. He, the OCB defensive was uh, not organized at all. I will say one last point. I thought the FC Tucson defense played pretty well for despite the mistakes they made and the, the mistakes that the midfield made. They, they didn't give up any easy chances. Uh, OCB didn't have a, a real good look until uh, Rusu scored. Uh, and I was also impressed with, uh, I think it's William Bagru. Bagru. Uh, of OCB, he is a super fast kid. 
And uh, physical was literally, you can watch in the first half, throwing defenders down. They yeah. were trying to shoulder him, and he was like, nah, and throwing grown men to the ground. I loved it. Yeah, he had, he didn't have much of an end product, uh, which is something, you know, academy kids will have to work on. But he has the physical traits to, uh, to be a star uh, in the future. All right. Any other thoughts, guys, on this past first week's games? I think uh, Eckenrode from Tormenta deserves a shout out. I think he's going to be someone uh, to watch for. Uh, and also, Tormenta's huge. I don't know if it's Greenville just being small, but their back line, Tormenta's back line is huge. I don't think anyone's ever going to win set pieces against them. Those are some big boys. So I don't know if y'all can tell that from television, but for me being there, they're huge. I couldn't, I couldn't tell, but uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah. In person. Well, I, I am 5'9", so everyone probably is huge <laughs> to me. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to look at the upcoming games now. Uh, the first game of Week 2 is actually currently happening or currently wrapping up. Uh, and as I see, uh, no spoilers. No spoilers this time around. And uh, Tucson or Tormenta, Tormenta might be winning, or it might be, a, or it might be tied right now. We don't know. Oh, or actually, we all know except for Jason. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they're playing right now. That's uh, the start of week two. Friday night, uh, Toronto two has their first game of the season at Orlando City B uh, at seven thirty, and then Saturday the rest of the teams play at five o'clock. Uh, I believe this is Eastern. Tormenta FC goes to Richmond. Lansing at seven o'clock travels to Greenville, and then at seven o'clock as well you have. Ford Madison in their first game going to Chattanooga Red Wolves in their first home game of the season. Any thoughts, guys, on these games? Yeah. yeah. So uh, go ahead, Chris. Which one are you excited for? Yeah. Well, no, I, I was, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I, I really think watching Lansing's offense against Greenville's defense is going to be, be huge. I think uh, Chattanooga Madison's going to be fun for, some off the field things, but also just from, I think those are two of the teams that probably have the most uh, attention on them from those who aren't closely tied to the league. So I think that that game will probably have uh, several eyeballs on it. I like the fact that we have, you know, these basically three games now that are all, you know, independent teams coming up, right? So the, the, the six independent teams are now playing each other first week. So I think all three of those Saturday games are going to be really fun to watch. Um, but I think live, I'm probably going to watch the Lansing-Greenville uh, match and uh, and I'll watch the Madison-Chattanooga match second. Um, j- just because, you know, I, I want to see those two go up against each other after what we saw this past weekend. Um, I mean, I, I look forward to seeing Madison just because, um, you know, we, we haven't seen them yet. But um, but I think that Lansing-Greenville match could be what wind up being the match of the weekend. I'll be interested to watch Tormenta and Richmond. Uh, it's got to be brutal to have three games in seven days, eight days. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how Tormenta plays and having to travel for the first time against a team that's trying to probably play better in the first 70 minutes this time around and not, uh, not wait till the end to uh, score. But we can all no. agree no one's watching TFC2. And oh, OCD, no, we right? can't agree to that. I'm ready, baby. I'm, I'm going to show them love. I want to see – first and foremost, it's a dream first game for Toronto, right? Yeah. Like they get to play Orlando, which I think is a, a pretty 
good offensive team, but struggle on defense. So they can come in, they get to come to the warmth of down South and get out of the snow for a little bit. And uh, so I'm excited to see, because I I still want to see Jordan Perusa. I want to see that attack. I really do think that Toronto is going to be a team that puts up two, three goals every game. I just don't know how many goals they're going to be able to keep out. That's, that's the issue, but uh, I'm excited to see that. And I'm also excited to see Chattanooga and Madison um, mostly because we don't know Madison's style yet. We, you know, we haven't seen them. We, I'm curious to see which players are actually going to roll out because they have switched back and forth. And then I do think that the advantage that Chattanooga has this week is on those transitions. If they can start crossing in some balls to Zaid, I think that's going to be important because right now Madison hasn't had the experience and chemistry to really work on that. And if you put the ball anywhere within five feet of him, he's going to score. That's, that's what he does. So I think Chattanooga, it'd be a good bounce back game for them. It's a perfect situation to play at home for a team that hasn't played yet. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys saw, we missed this in the news earlier, but uh, forward Madison officially got, I think four guys on loan from Minnesota United. Uh, So Mason toy will be, uh, should be there probably will be a starter, uh, be a starter uh, in the first game. I might take back everything I say. I don't know. I have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to end uh, with some fan questions. Uh, we've got, I think, three or four. Uh, the first from Weston Shelton. Shout out, Weston. Uh, off this small sample size so far, how far off was the level of play from USL Championship uh, this weekend in you guys' eyes. So I'll, I'll answer that because I, I actually, that was one of my things to watch in the pre, in previewing the first weekend of matches. I thought, is this going to be, is this league going to be closer to USL Championship or is it going to be closer to like a League Two NPSL side? And honestly, like I was thoroughly impressed. I think, uh, I think some of the teams in League One could probably finish close to mid table in USL championship. I mean, there's some really solid players and some really solid teams in this league, obviously top to bottom. It's, it's going to be, it's going to vary just because you got some teams that are focused on completely different things than, than trying to be super, super competitive. But uh, I was, I was thoroughly impressed. So I look at it as, okay, you watch League One's first week, the biggest problem, communication of the back line. So for neutrals that look, they're like, wow, these are some terrible back lines <laughs> that are going on. But I think that's going to get better. But And then you look at USL Championship, who has a 16-year-old goalkeeper as their player of the week, has an 18-year-old goalkeeper as the best goalkeeper so far, and a 17-year-old goalkeeper who just got called up and saved the day for Orange County. And so um, I think that it with both leagues it's exciting that it is that overlap where i think usl championship right now is playing better defense um, but that's also because they've had more time and chemistry but then you can flip that and say that league one definitely has a better finishing because if you go back and watch that tacoma sacramento game that happened on monday and you watch sacramento uh literally kick the ball into his own face with an open net in front of him then you might be confused which uh league you're actually watching so i do agree i think there is going to be some overlap um i do think that i i would have no problem putting a team like lansing in usl championship and having confidence that they can take down a good amount of those teams it should make for really fun U.S. Open Cup runs for some of these uh, some of these League One teams. I think you're going to see at least one team. I, I can't remember whose prediction that was, but 
one team make make a decent little run into open cup. That, that was smart. Yeah, <laughs> I'll claim that. You, you're and, a little and, hesitant. And I, I, I would not be surprised if one if there were if one or two um, League One teams ended up uh, you know playing in against an MLS team uh, eventually. It would not surprise me at all. I mean, part of it's the draw too, right? Like, you know, there are certainly weaker championship teams that if you know if you happen to draw up against one of those weaker championship teams in the Open Cup, you can make it to the next round. Um, and it depends on how much rotation that they want to do at the time too, right? Like if if you wind up with like one of the things I think with with championship teams and League One teams as well. I think League One teams at this point will probably want to you know make sure that they get past whatever League Two teams that they're going to play in the Open Cup. But um, so they'll play their first teams there. Then the question is, what do you do when you get to the you, you play a championship side. I think if you're at home, especially, you play your first team. And if you're a championship side, maybe you say, well, you know, we want to save some of these guys, so we'll rotate a few guys. And and that can create challenges for, for them. I mean, you've seen, uh, you know, the, I mean, look at the run that, uh, um, look at the run Cincinnati made two years ago when they were in the championship, you know, so it's completely possible that, you know, I don't think a League One team will get that far, but um, but certainly to the, uh, to the third round. Don't let them. Y- y'all would just have to unfollow me in unsubscribe for for a week because i would just be i'd be the most annoying person in the world i know y'all probably don't think i can be any more annoying but we'd be like like everything that you said that week let a league one team be an mls team and you'll see how annoying i can get you'll see how hot these takes can get (laughs) christo scored first against dc right (laughs) yeah i think so i think they did yeah can't wait for that greenville orlando city match (laughs) hmm who has more fans come to that game if it's at Greenville or if it's at Orlando? I, I think I think Greenville's going to have more fans regardless. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Uh, next question was actually from Plugnet. I think we answered already what was the best matchup of week two. We've discussed that. So I'll move on to a question from Keith Kamachi. Uh, what is the winning formula for this league? If you had to construct a team around that formula, what would your team look like and which team is close, closest to that early on? It's a hard question to ask in the first week of the season, but you guys got any any ideas? I would go, first and foremost, my team had to already existed in PDL or USL League <laughs> 2 now um, for that cohesiveness in the midfield. And then I would get a, one veteran in the backfield to, to coach them and vet, you know, have that veteran leadership. And then I'm bringing in my star player as my striker. So whether that's going to be the Alex Morel, the Mason Toyer, the Ricardo Pepe, that's going to be the star player. Because in this league, I think because of the back lines and because of the rotation and a lot of these people have not, or a lot of these kids people have not played this many games ever before in their life. I think that's going to be the weak spot in this league. Um, so you need a person to take advantage of that. And the reason my team is going to beat Jason's team is because I'm pouring all my resources into that back line to the goalkeeper. And then I want to have a strong spine. I want to have a couple really strong central midfielders and a finisher, a finisher up top who can, who can really put it in the back of the net. I think that's, I think if you can get that back line cemented because there are so many really porous back lines in the league right now, that if you can keep goals out, like it's not going to take a ton to score. So I think, I think if you build, if you build a solid defensive back line, I think you can really do well in the league. 
Wow, if only there was a game that's already happened to where a cohesive team from League Two played a team that focuses on defense. If only there was a game that had happened, we would know how that well, would listen, turn out. We don't have a we don't have a finisher, so that's 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 my point. You got to have a finisher. <laughs> Ira, any thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't know if there's any if there's any one really. So I'm I'm going to co- cop out here a little bit and and say you know at, at this point ultimately you want to build a team that has a style and you want to get players that uh, fit that, fit that style whether that style is possession or counterattacking or um, uh, or high pressing like you just need those players that fit that style and I think some of the teams already have it it's just that they haven't necessarily proved it yet and you know we're one week in but I would say you know you look at you do look at the North Texas, you do look at the Greenville and Lansing. Like I think that they have systems that I can identify now. Are they perfected yet? No, but we're one game into the season, but I do think that they have noticeable styles that as long as they continue to play those styles and have players that understand the roles within those systems that they'll do well. Um, so I don't think it's much different than any, any other league. Um, like, I don't think this is like, you know, some league, like if you go to the Netherlands, it was all about pressing five years ago. It's not like that. It's not just, you know, not everyone presses and that's what you have to do to win. And I actually agree with Chris. I'm going to build a, a strong back line, a strong uh, central midfield, and then focus on speed on the wings and uh, focus on counterattacking the hell out of any team I run run across. Uh so I, I, that, I think that works in most leagues and especially this one with the, with the skill some of these uh, attackers have, but also, uh, like Chris said, the holes in the defense, you need, you need that solid back line uh, to, be, to finish top in the league. Uh, we're going to go on. This is actually our last question from uh, Brad Bates. Guys, who would you have in your team of the week for the first week of League One? Maybe specifically someone who didn't make the official league team of the week. So I, I talked about it earlier. My guy, Kevin Koifik, killed it. Um, was really surprised that Lansing wanted to absorb pressure and drew in, you know, draw in all those people. And for that to work, you got to be accurate on the long balls. That's exactly what he did. Um, when he did go up, he provided service then, um, was great at clogging up to not allowing someone to get behind him and then scored a goal, right? Scored the game winning goal. So anytime defender gets to go up and score in the back post, you got to give him credit. So I understand why league one wouldn't want to put him there. Cause they also had Stoneman who played, a great game, but uh, yeah, definitely want to shout him out. He's my underrated player of the week. So I had uh, in my recap of the Greenville Tormenta match, I talked about Greenville. The the guy I probably would have put on the team of the week would have been Kevin Pollitz. He actually wound up making the team of the week, but I didn't make him my main of the match because he had such a big whiff on the goal. Like his, <laughs> he was playing so high up, and I mean, just bit real hard, and was really the start of the lone goal in the match. So I couldn't make him a man of the match, but I mentioned him earlier, Sammy Gadiri for, he was listed on one side as like up on up top in the top two, but he was also listed from Greenville's starting lineup as in the midfield in the 10 role. I think that's more where he was playing, but man, he was creating chances up top. He was taking shots and he was running all the way back and making goal saving tackles on defense. I think he was just really impressive to me a guy that I didn't necessarily have like high on my radar for Greenville this season, but he really, he really impressed me in that match. 
Ira, any thoughts on uh, who was overlooked? Yeah, I think, and mainly because I, I think they, they kind of lost and, and he looked ineffective in, in the first half of the game. But for um, but for Chattanooga, Eamon Zayed, um, he got the assist on Beattie's goal. He really, he did a good job holding up play. He, he had good movement, but no one ever found him. You know, and I think that was one of the challenges that Chattanooga had was, um, you know, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have great possession going forward. And uh, and getting those balls up to him to either hold up or, or get a good good look on goal. So I'd like to see him in a couple more games and, and see how uh, um, see if they can kind of fix those problems. And and I think he'll be a key for them in hold up play. All right. And I had uh, OC Wusu from OCB uh, didn't got the goal um, and didn't have a whole lot of other tangible stats you could really point to. But he was a threat all game for OCB. He got behind Tucson's back line a couple of times, even dribbled through it, uh, and, and felt like the re- the one real threat OCB had throughout that game. Uh, and on another night, he, he maybe finishes two or three of those chances that OCB had, uh, and the scoreline changes. So, guys, that, that wraps it up. Uh, Ira, Chris, Jason, any other thoughts from the first week of USL League One? If we want to do a, a quick check-in, you know, we, we have predictions. If we want to do a quick check-in on, you know, our, our MVP candidates. Mark, I think you had Steve St. Duke, right? I did. Okay, he had an assist. That was good. Chris, who, who did you have? I had uh, Ricardo Gomez with Tormenta. Yeah, yeah. 86% passing in his opponent's half. Five duels won. Only one lost. Five of seven long balls. I'd say that's a really solid game. Um, and I had uh, Xavier Gomez, who offensively was probably Lansing's best player. Had a goal and assist. Some great free kicks. And Ira's player, um, let's see my notes <laughs> if you can, here. If you're, listening, oh, if you're oh. listening on the podcast, you see my head dropping, and I'm hiding myself right now from the camera. But everybody, Ira's pick might have had the best week ever. Mashi Perez of FC Tucson, or I should say formerly of FC Tucson, because he's recently switched his insurance to Geico and has saved a bunch of money on his car insurance. So shout out to Perez and shout out to Ira for, for the fantastic MVP pick. In fairness, I don't think I was the only person who thought that he'd be important to that team this year. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't look like uh, I'll be getting that prediction point. <laughs> no, no, it does not. No. All right, guys. Uh, to all of you watching on YouTube, thanks for joining us uh, this week for episode 12. Uh, I also want to thank Beautiful Game Network for hosting us, check out uh, bgn.fm for a plethora of podcasts uh, of USL and USL League One uh, and also MLS. Uh, and check out BGN Written as well. Ira and Jason uh, have had articles I, this week, right, guys, uh, mm-hmm. about USL League One and USL Championship. I also want to thank our sponsor, Roughneck Scars. Roughneck Scars is the official su- scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and U.S. soccer, you can get scars from those leagues or even your own custom scars for your group or team at roughneckscars.com. Until next week, guys, we'll see you later. Mm-hmm.